I mean, you're a handsome chap and all, but you're no Brad Pitt. Well, I, I thought I was until that <laughs> moment. You know, I thought I'd give Brad run for the oh. money, but it turns out I was wrong. This is Localization Today, a podcast from Multilingual Media. Every week, we look back on the news from Multilingual.com with a language industry specialist. What stood out? What are notable trends? How can we predict what is going to happen next? I am your host, Marjolein Groot-Nibbling, publisher of Multilingual Magazine. My guests today are Gabriel Cruz and Bill Hindle, the CEO and COO of Parrot USA, a company that offers triple verified language skill certifications in accordance with the U.S. government's preferred scale for spoken language proficiency. Tell me this is audio only, though, Marjorie, because I haven't shaved for weeks. I haven't either. No, yeah, it's. Don't, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think ladies have to shave anymore. I don't think yeah, anybody has to true. shave anymore. <laughs> Very true. Uh, uh, so, so you two co-founded Parrot USA. Yeah. How did that did, come yeah. about? Uh, how did that come about? Um, we were working at uh, Language Testing International together, uh, and we had uh, pushed for a. A direct-to-consumer product, and basically, it, it just didn't go anywhere. And uh, then I went to—I uh, was in um, business school, and Bill and I kind of spoke, and he had a novel way of rating tests that would significantly bring down the cost of a test, which was one of the main reasons we were kind of unhappy with the trial at LTI because the test was just too expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Bill's kind of way of rating the test, it kind of brought everything back on the table. And rather than going back to LTI with this new model, it was decided to just go out on our own. Sure. And, and when was this? I, I think it was maybe 2016. That's what I would say, 2016 or 17. Maybe? I mean, yeah. the, idea, the idea had been floating around in our heads for a while, but, but unacted upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so mid to late 2010, so 2016, 17, maybe. I see. And then yeah. how about the, the name Parrot USA? I mean, there's no good story for this. Like, it's just, I, I, entered, I entered this business idea in, um, in a contest in my business school and uh, we were group 66 and on my way up to the stage, which we actually came in second, but um, on my way up there, uh, s- someone's like, what's your name? I'm like, we don't have a name. And my buddy yelled out parrot 66. So we became parrot 66 oh. and actually ran with that for a very long time until someone said, you know, you got to get rid of the 66. So, <laughs> What came first, Gabe, in the in the competition between business plans? Um, a production company that had a video with Brad Pitt. Oh yeah, well oh, that's, that's gonna do yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, well, uh, he stole our first place prize at uh, our our little business competition. So we always try to find something to talk about that we published on multilingual.com in the last week or two. And we published an article recently titled States Address Need 
for interpreters in education that questions why the need for professional interpreters in courtrooms, healthcare institutions, and conferences has long been established, but has been lacking in the U.S. education system. Do you agree with that based on your own experience, and, and why do you think that is? You want to start, Mr. Hindo? No, you, you go ahead and start, and I'll, I'll tell you where you're wrong. <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> we'll see if I get a sentence out. Well, I think the, the answer is pretty straightforward on that. And, yeah. you know, America works on, on really, uh, you know, liability, right? Liability is the driver mm-hmm. for so much of, of what we see and experience in day-to-day life. Um, and I think there's no different, uh, that, that's no different here. Um, I think the reason why you see assessments and certifications so common in healthcare and and the legal the legal industry is simply because if you if someone goes to prison for a very long time because someone screwed up their interpretation or someone mm-hmm. you know loses a leg, maybe the wrong leg, you know uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of liability at stake. But if you're talking about someone going to buy a new phone and the person makes a mistake and they wind up getting a galaxy instead of an iphone (laughs) you know it's not quite the same as uh yeah and now that's changing right that's changing and more and more even telecom companies and other companies are are coming to discover the need and the value in language assessments. And that's not so much driven by litigation or liability. It's driven by the demand of these multilingual citizens saying, I want to be communicated with in my language. And if you don't, I'm going to communicate with somebody else and buy my products and spend my money with other companies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that I think you're seeing more and more companies are starting to recognize the power of the multilingual market and, and also respecting that authority by saying, you know what, I'm going to give this the proper respect that it deserves and make sure you're talking to people that actually can communicate with you at an appropriate level. Do you think that that is inherent more to the U.S. market or more important to companies trying to sell? to a U.S. market because there is such a cultural diversity? Or do you think that globally this is a trend that you're going to see developing everywhere? I think globally we're, they're ahead of the U.S. I think the U.S. is, is a little mm-hmm. further behind uh, other markets in this sense. We have various frameworks here, but nobody knows what they are, right? You mm-hmm. walk down the street and ask someone what level of language ability do you have, no one's going to say... A1 or intermediate high or like any of these kind of Mm -hmm. slogans or or rather referencing an actual scale. They're Mm going to use kind of, you know, casual. I'm very fluent. I'm I'm fluent in in French. It's conversational. Yeah. So without a shared reference point that everybody agrees on, Mm -hmm. it gets very difficult to, to get reliable judgments. Right. So that kind of answers Um, the next question I was going to ask, which is why is language certification so important? And it is, as I understand it, to create uh, a a base standard that everyone can, that anyone can refer to, and it's understood on both ends, what kind of fluency that indicates. So what does that mean to someone holding this kind of validation at this point where we can still say, oh, I'm conversational or whatever? You know, having um, 
conversational in English or Spanish on your resume, I think is different than attaching a certification. Bilinguals on average, I think make, I think it's 20% more than their monolingual counterpart. It's a significant difference. So do many companies offer these language skill certifications and how can people find them and how will they know what to look for when they need to choose? Uh, Some do. Some do. Um, And I think most of these companies that offer them are offering them through like employee perk programs, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, it's, it's like an incentive. And it's often tied to this, you know, kind of upskilling trend that's taking place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there are there are multiple large organizations that have assigned you know dollar budgets for training because in the modern world you nobody wants to be seen as sticking the mud. We're not pushing forward. We're not keeping our our employees up to date right. with things. They want to be seen as pushing forward, and, and I think it's a it's a, a real a, it's an attraction for employees and and potential hires if you have that kind of training sort of infrastructure and mindset. So, and I think language training is just one part of that, and the certification comes in as uh, at the end of that. So, you offer this uh, type of language assessment, and what degree of accuracy can you promise companies who are looking to hire someone? with language proficiency? There are a number of different types of assessments out there, right? Mm -hmm. There are machine scored tests, there are single rated tests, and there are multi-rated tests, right? Additions, tests that are double or triple rated. And there are different scales, like accredited scales, like the US government scale, Mm -hmm. or uh, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages, ACTFL, also has a scale. And I think as a rule, when you're looking at a test, the more levels there are, the less reliable the test is going to be. Um, Without any question by anyone in the field, human scoring is the um, most reliable way to measure someone's uh, level of fluency. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're dealing with a level of fluency in a human rater, the double rated or triple rated test is going to always be the most reliable measure uh, that you can get. Got it, got yeah. it. If you've right. got a high stakes testing program, don't just say, you know, somebody says my test works. Say, okay, right. So how do you know? And who right, told you exactly. it worked? You get third parties to come along. You hand over the data to yeah. that third party, a, a psychometrician, uh, in in most generally, and they'll pass out the data. I sit on the a, a body called the American Society of Testing and Materials um, Language Testing Subcommittee, mm-hmm. and they they produce guidelines, standard guides for people buying tests for people. I mean, they produce standard guides for people buying cribs, right? So if you're going to buy a crib and it has a stamp from the ASTM on it, you know right. that, that crib was, was developed to certain standards, right? Yeah. Thanks so the for the not on that committee. No, I don't, well. I don't <laughs> do anything with cribs. My, my days of doing anything with cribs are, are long in my past. I'm, for I'm, for the good I, of society. You know, until I have grandchildren, I ain't going near a crib. Um, but but so so we produce these guides but they are largely sort of followed or not followed by organizations who self-certify that they follow them right there isn't a body over over the 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 american capitalist system saying 
if you want to sell that, you've got to do this or that, or you are not allowed. It mm -hmm. is up to the users and buyers of tests to ask the right questions to figure out whether the provider that they're using or going or, or thinking of using has done their due diligence to make sure that what they're selling is fit for purpose. Sure, sure. Uh, a question that's formed in my mind is, do you certify people's English skills whose primary language already is English? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and it is something that uh, can can provide value where you have a need for a higher than common level of uh, fluency. And I believe that most uh, conversation between uh, native speakers takes place at um, a level two plus, uh, which is on the uh, U.S. government scale. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's certainly not at the top of the scale. Um, huh. and Bill, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I, I believe that's, that's accurate. That's a, it is, is anecdotal, but absolutely sort of convincing to me. It was a gentleman <laughs> who's, who's been around the language business for a long, long time called Paddy Lowe, who, who I heard say that a long time ago. Um, and it does seem to be correct. There are levels of register of formality. Um, so, huh. I mean, for, for example, right, you've got two native speakers in Gabe and myself. Clearly, he's far more fluent and persuasive uh, than am I, right? So you can have different communicative skills, different communicative abilities within a native speaker. There's, it's not sort of a one-size-fits-all. So I, I don't think it's entirely inappropriate to use proficiency assessments, um, again, no matter how how you acquired the language. Um, yeah, I mean... You, That's you, interesting. English is not your first language, right? And, and you, you could... You'd run rings around Gabe when it comes to communicating in English. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it in a more obvious level, if you think about like writing proficiency, writing proficiency yeah. of native speakers, right? Um, there's there's a, a kind of, I, I would say it's probably anecdotal as well, but there's a strong argument amongst a, a lot of people that writing skills amongst college graduates and kind of that generation has yeah. greatly diminished um, from generation to generation as, you know, the power of text and other <laughs> tools have really taken oh. over the need for writing emails or writing, you know, old form letters like mm -hmm. Mr. Hindle used to hand to the guy on the horse outside his home. When he, <laughs> you know? But uh, no, it's, it's, if you think about writing proficiency um, and there are companies um, and a lot of companies that test for English writing ability, English writing proficiency from, you know, their English workforce, because it does matter to them if they're going into a position where writing is important um, mm -hmm. and they're no longer confident in just what a college graduate or whatever level the person they're bringing into the company is um, just because they happen to be a native speaker. So does your language assessment include both a uh, written and spoken test? Writing is a separate skill and a separate test. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you guys are aiming to make this kind of testing and certification more broadly accessible by driving the price down. And so do you imagine a future where everybody's going to be able to just have this on their LinkedIn profile? Like, the, this is my certification. Maybe one day it will become open source. What do you think? 
So I think there's a number of factors there, right? I think, you know, machine scoring is something that is really something that can transform um, or, or the, the favorite word uh, disrupt the entire industry, right? Um, once you do that and you can do it well, which no test can really claim right now. I mean, they uh, went, once you can do that, right? And you can actually measure spontaneous speech, right? Which none of the engines can. I mean, if you think about Siri and, I mean, these are from the biggest companies in the world and they only work on elicited imitation, right? Where they have to know what you're going to say. And even then we all know how good they are, right? They're, they're okay at best. What our goal is and has been is to create the best testing experience possible, right? To start with that and then try to get the price down uh, to an appropriate level while at the same time educating people as much as we can about the value of language skills and trying to kind of ride the wave. I mean, we haven't created this kind of demand for multilinguals in America. It's something that is is here for, for everyone's benefit, right? Mm -hmm. um, the language testing market has exploded in the last 20 years. I mean, it's not even close to what it was. Um, but I, I think trying to get to a point where everyone on LinkedIn can just like click a button, take a test, and now yes. they have a, a, a rating that's associated with right. a specific level that we all know is, is absolutely the dream. Right. right. And, and, you know, I, I'd love it to be our test, but any test would be a victory. Um, you know, that that's that's the goal of our company is to create a world where language skills are more valued uh, and kind of a high level. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, uh, I hope to see that day. And uh, I'm curious to see this all develop and, and how it fits into the language industry as a whole. Anyone can take this test at any time. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, then uh, uh, my final question to you is, uh, would you let me take uh, your language assessment test if I promise to make the results public? <laughs> In which uh, language? Absolutely. In which English. language? English. Actually, yeah. let's do English and Spanish because my Spanish is, is uh, I learned in the streets of Central and South America over a couple of years and I never did any studying and I think it's horrible, but I would really like to know. It would well, be interesting because at the lower levels, it, it's much less about accuracy and more about can you get the job done. At higher mm -hmm. levels, it gets more unforgiving. Like if you make a lot of mistakes at the higher levels, you're not going to rate high on the scale if you, if you make mistakes, but you can be understood. But you can do really well. Um, my second language, I speak like a barbarian. But if it comes <laughs> to actually getting the job done, I can get most things done. It's just people look at me a little askance like I'm an idiot, right? Um, which is not unusual. People look at me like an idiot before I open my mouth most of the time. Um, I want to thank you so much, Gabe and Bill, for being here and answering all my dummy questions. <laughs> That's that's it's our pleasure, or my pleasure. I don't know about Bill; he's a little more sensitive. But uh, I can't, I can't, I can't remember the last time I had any pleasure. <laughs> I, I thank you for the the opportunity to come on here. It's been fun. Thank, thank you so you. much for your time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Localization today. To subscribe to Multilingual Magazine, 
go to multilingual.com slash subscribe.